Greetings and salutations. Uh, my name is Paige, and welcome back to uh, our my live uh, Facebook Live. As I saunter through the Gospel of John and thinking, and I think with my mouth open. You know, for years it took my wife. Uh, it took my wife years to realize that. I think with my mouth open. That's how I solve problems. That's how I work my way through puzzlements, if you will. And um, it took her many years to realize that I wasn't making pronouncements. I was just solving a puzzle, solving a problem. If you're here, please... Oh, hang on a second here. Let's see. There we go. Hi, Brandy. How are you? I was just going to say, if you're there, let me know you're there. Uh, let me put my hello in there. Welcome. Brandy, it's good to see you again. I hope that new job is working out well for you. Today, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to finish up, and there's some hard things. Jesus... Jesus has taken the, uh, here, let me get this, my headphones out of here so that I don't, there we go. All right. Now, uh, Brandy, can, can you hear me? I want to make sure that this is working. I think it is. Um, Jesus's cross, he's, come over the apex of his popularity and from this point on he is taking on the religious leaders of his day face to face head on he's taking the gloves off and today he says some very 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 hard things so let's take a peek and see what in the world you know I'm wondering if this hang on a second let me, I have to check something out here. I want to make sure that, okay, it says I got the right microphone. All right. Well, then I'm good. Again, me and technology. I've got my coffee. I hope you have yours. Let's step into it. Jesus takes the gloves off. I'm going to read the passage, the rest of chapter 8 first. I'm going to chat about what impressed me most about it, and then... Uh, we have a surprise guest appearance later on. To the Jews who had believed him. Now again, when he's talking, when he meant, John mentions the Jews, he's talking about religious leaders, not the Jewish nation. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me just stop right there. If you hold to my teaching, you're truly my disciples. How do you find out who's really a follower of Jesus? They don't walk away from him. If you hold to my teaching, meaning you stay with my teaching, you hold on to it, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Hmm. Jesus is telling them, if you're really Abraham's descendants, what I'm saying would make sense to you. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. They said, we are not illegitimate children. Now, isn't that interesting that they would make this comment, we are not illegitimate children, in response to him? Hmm. If you remember this Christmas story about Mary and Gabriel, how Gabriel told Mary she was pregnant. She goes to visit Elizabeth. She comes back home with the baby bump. She's obviously pregnant. Joseph's going to divorce her. Gabriel shows up to Joseph and says, Mary was not unfaithful to you. Uh, and they move forward from that point as husband and wife. But the reputation of Jesus and Mary was stained because in the world's eyes, she had been unfaithful to Joseph, and therefore the baby she was carrying was illegitimate. In fact, Jesus, in some historical documents I've read, was often thought to be the illegitimate son from a Roman soldier and a Jewish maiden, Mary. So it's interesting here. He said, you're doing the works of your own father. He says, we're not illegitimate children. It's like they're slapping at him. We're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me because I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. This is a very important thing here that Jesus is saying. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you don't hear what God says is that you don't belong to God. Keep that thought in mind. We're going to come back to that. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? Again, they're calling him a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is a mixture of Jewish blood and non-Jewish blood. They're saying that Jesus is a Samaritan because his mother Mary, supposedly, had an affair with a 
non-Jewish man who impregnated her. So they're they're slapping back at him hard too. They called him ill. They they hinted at his his being an illegitimate son, and what we just read. And here they're saying, "Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed?" I'm not possessed by a demon," said Jesus. "But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death." At this, they exclaimed. Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died. So did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Hmm. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Big truth bomb coming here. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born... I am. That sounds grammatically incorrect, doesn't it? Before Abraham was born, I am. It's not. He just gave them his name. Do you remember the story of Moses speaking to the God in the burning bush? And he says, who will I say sent me? Because God was sending him back into Egypt to rescue his, his people. Who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them, I am that I am. That's a name for God. And Jesus very plainly called himself God. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This was an intense conversation. And like I said, Jesus is taking the gloves off. And he's going head-to-head with the religious community. Um, I'm... This was a hard thing to read. Especially in light about what I'm going to share with you here in a second. Um, Let's just go back and recap just a little bit. Jesus says, if you're of God, then Jesus' teaching will make sense to you. It obviously was not making sense to them. So Jesus said, I'm going to make it very plain in verse 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Slave has no permanent place in the family. So he's telling them, you're a slave to sin. They're not set free because if they were set free, they would recognize that Jesus is from God just like Abraham did. And he says, if you're Abraham's children, then you do what Abraham did. But you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. 
And then he goes on to tell them, here's why you don't get it. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're you're unable to hear what I say. He's stating the natural state of their heart. These aren't seekers. These religious leaders aren't seekers after God. You remember what I said previously in previous uh, devotions where Jesus' response to anybody who has any sense of self-awareness of their sin or their condition. He's gentle and compassionate and revelatory. They get it. The woman at the well. If the Messiah comes, I know he'll explain everything. And Jesus simply said to her, I'm he, I'm the one. To the uh, Roman centurion, he met him at his point of need. He healed his servant. The adulteress, he defended her and kept her from being stoned. He was compassionate and loving and gentle. But these men were approaching him from a sense of arrogance, self-assurance, and a supreme self-confidence that they were right and everybody else was wrong. And he tells them, you're of the devil. Even though they were part of the religious community that claimed to represent the God of the universe. He's saying, if you truly represented the God of the universe, you'd see who it is that's standing in front of you. The reason you don't hear, you don't belong to God. Harsh, harsh words. They continue going on saying that, you know, we're we're of Abraham. Uh, we are Abraham's descendants and that's what we, all we need. And he basically goes on saying, before Abraham was born, I am. And it doesn't get any plainer than that. He tells them, I'm God. I'm Messiah. I'm the one that Abraham and all the prophets were pointing to. And he tells them plainly, and look at their reaction. When he told the woman at the well, that when she said, if the Messiah comes, he'll tell me everything. And he says, well, I'm he. Her response was to run back to town. And get people to come and see Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? He told me everything I'd ever done. Do you see her response and compare it to this response? He tells them the same thing. I'm Messiah. I am. I am that I am. But they wanted to stone him. Now this highlights something very, very, very important and integral to the Christian faith. It highlights a very big problem to me. And when I first started studying this and realizing this, it it actually set me back. Because when I became a Christian, 75, in church service and boot camp, When I bowed my knee to Christ, prior to going to that church service, I wasn't going there for any religious reason. There was no drawing in me. There was no, the gospel held no attraction to me. I only went there to get away from my company commander who I just did not like at all and made my life miserable. Uh, I got away from the company commander for three hours. That was the only reason I was there. And then I can tell you, I look back, I can remember the moment like it was yesterday. One minute, I'm just listening, looking around, just kind of la-di-da-di-da-di-da. 
And then the next minute, I was desperate to know who Jesus was. There was a specific moment in time when something happened to me that all of a sudden made the gospel attractive, that made Jesus attractive, that made me desperate to know God. Two seconds before, no desperation. Two seconds after, much desperation. And I prayed truthfully for the first time. And I have come to realize since then that it was a preemptive move of God on his part to take me from non-belief to belief. I wasn't smart enough to figure anything out. I didn't go there to figure out a puzzle. I didn't go there to do anything. I just went there to get away from a company commander. And I could have cared less about anything that was going on in church. But a preemptive move by the Holy Spirit moved on, moved in me, on me, if you will. And it's like for the first time I saw, to, I saw truth. And I bowed my knee to it because it was truth. It wasn't truth before. It was truth after. So, let's see here. I just saw my signal get interrupted. Let's see here. So, now let's just leave this right here for a second. And let's step to the side. During this time in history, there was a Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He studied under one of the greatest rabbis of all time, Gamaliel. And he had to have been, he's not mentioned in, in the gospel narrative. He shows up in, in the book of Acts after the resurrection of Jesus. But there's no way he could have not known what was going on because he was very connected and he was a very devout Pharisee. And he might have been in this crowd, I don't know of religious leaders. But after the resurrection of Jesus, Saul of Tarsus set out to destroy the growing movement, uh, which they call, by the way, the way. And he would go from house to house, dragging Christians out, getting them killed, throwing them in prison. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus shows up and presents himself to Saul. And Saul, in a minute, in a second, boom, was changed. And this Pharisee of the Pharisees, perhaps one of the most brilliant minds that the Christian church or the world, period, has ever seen. The greatest philosophers, greatest theologian. Uh, he wrote some words in Rome, in his letter to the Roman church. I'm going to read that. And then we're going to apply it to this. And I want you to keep in mind what we just read as I'm reading this. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. 
Now, what did Jesus just say a second ago? Let's go back here. Let's see, right here we are. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. Your father's the devil. Mm. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. And here's what Paul writes, perhaps 10 years later. There's no one righteous, not one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul could be describing the religious community of his day. These people were actively involved in seeking to kill Jesus and, later on, his followers. And this hits at a very central Christian truth. There's no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. I wasn't seeking God. Even though I went to church that day, I wasn't seeking God. I was getting away from a company commander that I just did not like. There's no one who does good, not even one. I used to think, even after I got saved, I used to think that I had figured something out that day, that I had seen truth, I would responded to it, and since I responded to it and figured it out, I was saved. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't figure anything out that day. I was transformed. I didn't understand the truth of the gospel until I was overwhelmed by the move of God. Paul is saying here, no one's going to find God in his own. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. He, there could not have been a better description of the Pharisees of Jesus' day and the scribes and the priests. Not all of them were like that because there were people like Nicodemus who was a seeker. But many, this is their, this is their biography. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Yeah, they were trying to kill Jesus from the very beginning. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they don't know. They were so tied up in the political machinations of maintaining their power and position. It wasn't about God. It was about maintaining their place of power and prestige and riches. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. If there had been fear of God in their eyes, like Jesus said, if you're of God, you'd hear my words. But you're proving to me that you don't understand who God is because you want to kill me. This was probably a watershed moment in my Christian walk when I realized, now I know this is going to sound silly, when I realized that the only reason I'm saved is because God saved me. It sounds weird, doesn't it? I used to think I'd figured something out, that I'd figured out which side of the bread the butter was on, that I had 
put two and two together, came up with four. And the truth is, according to Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and a contemporary of the Pharisees that were coming after Jesus so strongly, um, he realized no one's seeking God. That's man's natural condition. And especially nobody in that religious community was seeking God. They've altogether become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So man's natural condition is to be an enemy of God. Now Paul goes later on in Romans to, to ask the question, well then who can be saved? If nobody wants him, nobody's looking for him, nobody wants to find him, who can be saved? And he answers his own question, thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is a dividing line in the religious community around this world. Now, somebody said, well, then, Paige, you're saying that Christianity is an exclusive faith. Yeah, I kind of am. I don't see any other way around it. And they said, well, that's ugly. And that's divisive. My response is this. Let's pretend that Christianity is a way, not the way. Now, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But let's just say, put that aside, let's say that Christianity is a way. And all the other religions in the world are, all rivers run to the sea, all mountains point toward the sky, things like that. And Christianity is a way to God, not the way, a way. And I live my life according to the tenets of Christianity. Love my Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself. Let's say I just make, that's my core belief, which it is. And that's how I live my life. And at the end of my life, I find out that Christianity is not the way. It's just a way. In every other religious part of the world, I win. If it's reincarnation is true, then I come back at a higher level. If all the other, any of the other religions are true, if I live my life with compassion and love for my fellow man and seek to live a life of piety, I've at least improved my condition. But if Christianity is truly the way and Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, you can't ignore those words. If Jesus is the way and Christianity is the way and you live your life in one of these other traditions only to find out at the end of it all that Jesus is the way. Who loses in this? Who wins? Christianity makes the most sense to me because yes, it's exclusive. But he's the way. That's why they called it the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father but by him, and you can't come to the Father unless the Father moves on you. So now that places us in a whole new bucket of discussion about predestination and free will and all that. Another time, another place. All I'm saying is here, a Pharisee, a contemporary of the Pharisees that were chasing Jesus down, he writes that he recognizes that there's no one seeking God. 
There's no one righteous. It presents man in a rather hopeless condition. And Jesus says, if you're of God, you recognize who I am. But you're not of God. What hope is there for people like that? What hope is there for people like me who couldn't give a rip about God before God overwhelmed me? Hmm. I'm going to leave you with that thought. And I'm going to get on with my coffee and on with my day. God's blessings to you. Tomorrow, Saturday... I'll be doing a summary of the week, and uh, we will begin with chapter 9 on Monday. All right, this is Mr. G. I'm out of here.